Hey, uh, good morning. I have two announcements as, to get, as we get started. The first one is if you signed up a couple weeks ago for the blood drive to, that you were interested in giving blood, uh, starting this week we actually have the true sign-up that has times on it, times for you to be able to give blood. And the times are going to range from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., 15-minute increments. Apparently they just bring you in, stick you, suck it out, and send you out. It's on February 16th. Two days after Valentine's Day, so you should be good to go, you know, and no one's stealing blood from you anymore. I feel like if I was a vampire, that'd be a great racket, right? Oh, I don't know, we're helping people by taking blood. They walk in, they go, good evening. <laughs> anyway, uh, the reason we, this whole blood drive thing came up is uh, Nick, the guy who's singing right here this morning, uh, his nephew's name is Noah, and Noah was diagnosed this year with cancer. And he's had a lot of blood transfusions throughout the year. And so Jeremy, uh, one of my other friends, said, hey, we should get together and do a blood drive since he's using a lot of blood. Not that all of our blood goes to him or something like that, but we thought it would be a good idea to kind of show solidarity and help out. So if you would like to give blood, Welcome Center, you can sign up. They start at 2 p.m. February 16th, and they go through 6 p.m. Uh, the second thing I have is that uh, Element U is going on on Wednesday nights, and if you missed it last week, you can go online and listen to it. You get the PDF notes and all of that, and then come this week at 6 p.m. for the second week of it. There's full children's programs available. You're all invited and welcome to come. It's a good time. Uh, my wife is actually working this week, but I will be here on time. I was a little late this week. Sorry, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's, it's, I, I think it's great. I had a, had a really good time. My wife and I really enjoyed it. Had a good conversation as we went home. I uh, had a good conversation with a few different people this week, actually, about it. So it sparked a lot of cool stuff. So I'd encourage you to come. Wednesday night, 6 p.m. is when that starts. So welcome to Element. If you are new, we don't just always ask to steal your blood. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, they're half sheets, and what you get on, on these half sheets is you get the big idea of what we're going to talk about today, then a bunch of questions that will reflect about what we're talking about today, so you can talk to one another about that. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Uh, it just says Bible when you download it, though. Click on More and Then Events in that. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And this is Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as a people and have us understand how to step out into the culture around us and begin to speak of your good news and your rescue, of what it means to us and how it can speak into other people's lives around us. Have us begin to be a people who care enough about what you have called us into, that we would step into that in your strength and that we would trust you in all things so the world would know who you are. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are doing this series called Acts Part 2, like Acts uh, Squared, like on the thing behind us. Uh, Acts Part 2 is, we're going to cover Acts uh, Chapter 13 through the end of the book. We did Acts Part 1 like 4.5 years ago. And Acts Part 1, we did chapters 1 through 12. No one ever said we're fasted element. So this is Part 2, and it's going to culminate at the very end of the entire book of Acts where Paul is sitting in jail awaiting trial. Now, some people have said, well, why does Acts end that way? It's like a cliffhanger. Well, most likely in the course of history, that's where it 
it ended. Luke was with Paul waiting for the trial to see what would happen. Also, the book of Acts is about as long as you can make a scroll and still be able to carry it with you somewhere. Because imagine you just kept writing and you're like, I'm going to take my book of Acts with me. And you got to go. So it's about the length that you can make a scroll at that time and take it somewhere with you. Uh, the first part of Acts really deals with the beginnings of the early church and how the gospel goes out to the people that were around that church and how God is calling people in. And what you see is that God keeps coming and changing his apostles' view of the world around them because they were Jews and they had this idea that God only is saving Jewish people. And God keeps expanding his redemptive plan in their mind that it goes out to everyone. God had to constantly move his people to understand his plan of what he was doing in the world. And by the time you reach the end of chapter 12, you have spent most of your time with a guy named Peter, the rock, like before Dwayne Johnson ever showed up. Uh, Peter was reckless. He is impulsive. He's loud. But what you see is when God spoke to Peter, Peter listened. And his life began to change, and he followed where God called him to. And I would encourage you, if you missed any of that first part of Acts, you can go to our website or podcast it. You can listen to all of those. Uh, Acts 13, what you see is Peter virtually disappears. He'll show up in a couple chapters just for a little bit. And it switches mostly to a guy named Paul, who was originally called Saul. Paul is a guy that will take the gospel out from where the Jewish people are and into the rest of the world. And I showed you last week how what Paul does is when he walks into an area, he tries to understand his audience well enough to speak the gospel to where they are. He knows them well enough. And so last week, Paul goes in and he speaks to the synagogue of Jewish people in a place called Antioch in Pisidia. This week, he's going to start to talk to Gentiles in the same area. And where this week's message is going to go, so you have a heads up on the front end, is I am going to try to uh, exhort you to... Listen to the call that God has placed in your life to go out into the world that is around us and speak of the good news of the gospel wherever we are, understanding that context. It's not going to be a lot of history like last week. It's going to be a call to see the world like Paul did and to live that way in the world around us. The message of Paul, when he is speaking to those who aren't Jews, he has to do it in a way that his audience understands so they can process what God is doing in the world, how God is saving them, and what God is saving them from. And the truth is, it's hard to get people to understand that. When Jesus is on trial, uh, this guy named Pilate says to Jesus in the midst of it, well, what is truth? I mean, even back then, the question's still there. The truth is, is that we are a people who have broken relationship with God time and again, and yet God is the one who seeks to store relationship with us, restore us again. God in Jesus takes upon himself all that we did to break relationship with him and others, and he extends himself to us again. See, our actions result in this thing that we call sin. And I know when you say sin in the modern world, oh, it sounds so archaic, oh, what's this sin? Sin is very simply how we continue to think and live our lives apart from God, thinking we know that we can do everything on our own, make our own choices our own way. Uh, The church father Augustine said all sin is pride. It all stems from pride, thinking we can do our lives without him. And this is my standard four-part definition for sin. I give this to 
to you about every year and a half. The first one is sin is the disruption of God's peace. This word called shalom, where everything's in the right place and the right time and the right way. And so we are created to have peace with God, peace with each other, peace with creation, even in the end, peace with ourselves. And sin is all the ways that we come in and disrupt that peace that God intends for us to have. When we run our own way, we are people who violate God's peace. The second thing is that sin is rebellion. We don't like the way God set up the world. We want. We thought if I was God, I'd do it this way. Well, we do that every day in our lives, and look how that turns out. You know, not not well. We rebel against God's order of things in the world that He has set up, and so we destroy it and ourselves in the process. Sin is also what's called participation in the way of death. It's that creation itself. It is active. It's not static. And so sin is when we steer things the opposite direction of God. This could be individually in our own lives. This could be in our friendships, uh, in our workplaces. It could be ultimately going out into the entire world and how it affects the world around us. Well, we have to ask, whenever we interact with anything around us, is are we steering it towards grace and goodness and life and towards the gospel, or are we steering things away from that? Here's a good example. If you're on the Facebook, right, think about when your friends post something really dumb on there. So many people, when they post something dumb, there's a lot of people like, oh, yeah, thumbs up, way to go. Uh." You know what you should do? Just not say anything because you're steering things many times in the way of death. Don't go that direction. Just get off the Facebook. Anyway, uh, sin is also what we call missing the mark. It's missing what you are aiming at. And so sin enters the world at the beginning of humanity. We run from God. We start to destroy everything in the process. And yet God comes and promises himself to restore us to relationship with him. The first place this happens is all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We call this the Proto-Evangelion, the preaching of the first gospel. And God does this himself, and he promises himself to rescue us. But he will do this multiple times in the Old Testament scriptures. He promises himself to pay for the sin that all of us have brought into the world, because it is not something that we could fix on our own. God has said, if you sin, you will die. That's what happens. God is our source of life. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from him, and we run headlong towards death. But our God takes that death upon himself on this place called the cross, and he offers us true life and relationship with him again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And throughout Paul's ministry, he will run into different people from various walks of life. Some people, like last week, they're Jews who understand the Jewish message. Some people are non-Jews who have heard the Jewish message and they believe it. And some people have never heard anything about who God is or Jesus whatsoever. Uh, Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts 17. I know we're in 13 today, but just we're going to start there. In Acts 17, Paul is in this place called Athens. He is in a place where none of these people have ever heard about Jesus or who the true God is. And everywhere Paul goes, you see him try to understand the context of his audience so we can have a starting point of how to speak to them so they would understand. A starting point is not staying on the corner of you know, Broadway and Main Street with big signs yelling, repent at people, because nobody understands what that even means. You have to speak into the context of where they are. And not to steal my sermon in, in a couple months, but in Athens Paul will tell them, I see that you are very religious. So he says, you know, a compliment to them at the beginning. He says, I walked through your great city and I saw all of these things. I even saw an altar to an unknown God. At this time, they would worship anything they could and they had an altar to an unknown God so they didn't make that one mad if they forgot to worship it at at some point. Acts 17, verse 23, Paul says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. 
He says, you're ignorant of what you are worshiping, so let me explain who he is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to, himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now there's a whole bunch of phrases in there that the Athenians would know. This this feel their way towards him and life and breath and everything and in him we live and move and have our being. This is a whole other sermon that Paul gives in Athens and in this sermon he doesn't quote any scripture at all. He will go on to quote their own poets and their own prophets and it sounds a little bit like something that would come out of the book of Psalms, right? You know, you know live and move and have our being, but it's actually from a Cretan philosopher named Epimenides. Now, Epimenides' story, as told from legend, is he's out tending his, his father's flocks, and he wanders into a cave and falls asleep for 57 years. Okay, that's, he must have really needed a nap, or he took the good Ambien. I don't know whatever it is, but, <laughs> but he wakes up, and he's probably got like a permanent creak in his neck or something like that, but he's also got the gift of prophecy and cryosleep. And, and, and so this guy who makes this statement, live and move and have our being. Epimenides, when he says this, is referring to the Greek god Zeus. That's who he's referring to because people were saying Zeus is mortal. And Epimenides is like, no, 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 Zeus is immortal. Paul takes that guy's words as a starting point to speak the gospel. And it's kind of funny because his text for the sermons in Athens is essentially Rumpelstiltskin. Like, that, that, that's his starting sermon. Paul doesn't walk into the context of Athens and try to tell the story of Jesus the exact same way he does in Antioch. He tells it in a way that connects with his hearers. He doesn't change the truth of the gospel at all, but he changes how he presents it so it will be understood. He will talk about sin and God's rescue of who we are in the person of Jesus. Paul understands the truth, that con- Context matters, and the context of people's lives matters. So when he does it, he's going to do it in a way that people understand. That's Paul's commitment. Paul will start with what they think they know, Rumpelstiltskin. He's going to start there. And in Athens, it is certain poets and philosophers. In Antioch, it's God's redemptive story of what he did in the Jewish people. Today, this could be a whole bunch of different things. It could be when people want to talk about DNA. You can read this little book called Darwin's Black Box, and then maybe enter into that conversation right there. It could be when people talk about star clusters and galaxies. This guy named Hugh Ross wrote this book called The Fingerprint of God. If you read that, it'll probably help you like step into that conversation right there. It could be someone who uh, says something on Twitter, and you start there. It could be the death of Kobe Bryant, and you start there. Paul cares enough not just to preach at an audience, but to speak to a people. And he is like, you want to start with, in him we live and move and have our being? Great. I agree. Let's start there, because that's who I'm talking about. It doesn't matter where the conversation starts, because in Paul's heads, he knows that God is the God of all people, all places, all times, and all things, and he just wants to walk into a room and point to the reality of that. Does that make sense? Okay, three of you. Great. The rest of you listen to the podcast again. Okay, so Paul knows what we should all come to know, that everyone has experiences, and those experiences make them see the world differently, but God is still the God of those experiences. Uh, One writer said this, and I can't remember who it was. I Googled it, and it didn't come up, but it's not me. Someone said this. God is big enough to include all of our experiences, but he is not so small as to be defined by any one of them. 
And I love that. This is why Paul can step into real places and speak of the real Jesus in a way that he doesn't have to say that Jesus is something that he is not to try and get people to connect to Jesus. The sad thing is today, with how people talk about the gospel, even in certain churches and how it's presented, is we water down the why of the gospel and the why of God's rescue and who he is in saving as we water down God's true goodness. And I think we do this because we're nervous, because we're insecure. So we think God's a little insecure. And so we tell people around us that whatever they want to do in their life, God's okay with it. God's not okay with it. He's, he's not. We change the truth of the reality of who God is to try and fit into our culture. We try to redefine him in a way that people will like him. But where the gospel can and does fit into cultural containers, the truth of the gospel never, ever changes. The truth of the gospel remains consistent, and it can go into cultures because only that unchanging truth will make sense of all cultures. And what I mean by that, that a church today can be 10 people or 10,000 people. Uh, You can wear suits and ties or Bruins jerseys or 49ers jerseys, whatever you want to wear in the church. You can wear flip-flops and shorts. You can baptize in rivers. You can baptize in little pools at the front of a, of a church. You can baptize in rivers or po- whatever it is. You can have people of one color or all colors. You can lose lights and projectors. Or you can have people sit on stumps in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, it can be a church of prostitutes or ex-prostitutes or a church full of nuns. It could be a people who are trying to figure out their gender identity or cisgender people. It could be either one of those. It can be people who laugh or cry. It can be people who are serious about crying or serious about laughing. You can be serious about celebration. You can use cell phones for Bible verses or, or old-fashioned printed paper. You can quote Cretan philosophers and Martin Luther King, but everything in the end must center itself on God's rescue of us. The gospel can go into any culture, but it is not defined by a culture. And is why we, like Paul, have to understand who we are talking to as we begin to speak about the good news. Because whether anyone knows it or not, Jesus is the God of everyone. He is the fulfillment of all the promises to the Jewish people. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul's not making that up. And Jesus is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And he's not making that up either. Paul points to the reality that is there. See, Paul has a great posture towards all people. And it is one I hope that we can come to by the time we get to the end of Acts part two, that we get to see the world around us in the way that God does. One writer says it like this, until Jesus makes sense of you, he will most likely not make sense to you. And what that means is all the experiences and things you've gone through in your life, Jesus, when we understand, he's going to make sense of all of those things in light of the gospel, in light of who he is. And when that happens, the gospel truly begins to make sense to us. And this is why Paul speaks to people where they are, the culture they are, so they would know. And it it is why we as a people need to understand the culture that we are in as well. Like Element, one of our core values is planting churches. We have to understand the place that we are planting a church in. You have to understand that culture. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. I know, long preamble to get to where we're going today. Uh, Where we catch up is that Paul and Barnabas, last week, they go into this place in Antioch and Pisidia, and Paul tells the, the Jewish story in the Jewish way to a Jewish people and speaks about how the culmination of all that is in Jesus, that Jesus makes sense of everything their people have ever gone through. It's making sense of their lives, so he makes sense to them. They're now excited about God's restorative call, 
And in this, you know, they get to be restored and sent on mission with a purpose. Imagine your life in that. Like these people are in a place where they feel like their abject failures have been dispersed from their nation. Imagine walking around thinking nothing can be redeemed. And then God steps in and lifts us out of the muck we're in. And he says he wants to use us for his purposes. And he says, your past doesn't need to define your present or your future. And I'm going to walk with you into all of these new places. He loves us. And he says, okay, now let's get up off our mats and let's go. So what you see is this, Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath. Now, this goes back to verse 42, where they're very excited about what Paul says last week, and they say, hey, can you come talk to us next week? And so this is now the next week. So we're like in the same time frame. It's been a week for us, too. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, we don't know if that's metaphorical, if this is the whole synagogue or the whole town really showed up. It's all determinative on context in the Greek, and really it could mean any of those things. But this is like, if someone had something so excited that changed our lives, a lot of us would actually show up. Like if someone said, I'm giving away free gasoline or tacos. Like, we would all show up. This message is centering around the reality that they understood, how they live and move and have their being. But, and there's always a but with two T's, and it's usually the religious people. Verse 45, but when the, Jewish, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and, begin, and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, much of this is probably because you have all these Gentiles now starting to believe, and they're going to flood this little synagogue. And when that many people come in, it's going to change the ethos, kind of who you are, the direction of what your synagogue is into. So they're probably a little irritated about that. The word reviling is the word blaspheme in Greek, and it means to hurl insults at, to speak evil of someone. And so these Jewish people show up and talk about Paul, like we talk about people on the opposite side of the political aisle from us, like they're inhuman and it's all right for us to hate them because those people deserve it. And what you'll see is Paul responds like Paul always does. Paul's saying, this is what God has called me to. I'm going to trust him. I'm just going to go where God calls me to go. I don't got to carry God anywhere. God's already there. I'm along for the ride. Verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, that right there is a quote from Isaiah 49, verse 6, that a lot of Jewish people at the time wanted to overlook. Because, no, 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 salvation is only for us people and all those Gentiles. That is, everybody else in the world, you know, they they don't get it. Only we get it. And Paul is saying, no, God has always been sending us out. It always also goes to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Paul is now going to go towards the ends of the earth with this message. The Gentiles here he is referring to are those who are called God-fearers. They have heard the Jewish message. They believe the Jewish message. And now they're believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Most likely, though, in this synagogue, they're starting to be treated like second-class citizens because they aren't true Jews. This is why, verse 48, and when the Gentiles Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. These people are like, we're not second class, we're actually brought in and adopted like God's own children, and Paul's like, yes, even we'll call them brothers. They rejoice at their salvation, and it is awesome. 
Now, let me take a little side trek with you here. Uh, most people think that because of my position and what I get to do, I get to speak to different kinds of people in different places about Jesus. Sometimes it's true. And when I do get to do that, sometimes it's great, and sometimes it, it's just horrific, <laughs> depending on what it is. Like, I was a youth pastor for years, and sometimes I would speak at certain things, and kids would leave, and I would talk to them afterward and say, hey, it was good to see you, you know, see you later. And they would say sometimes things like, no, you won't. And you're like, ow, that's terrible. And then you got to sit there and say, I will not let a 17-year-old determine my identity. I will not let a 17-year-old determine my identity, right? But sometimes it still happens at Element. It does. We'll get emails from people who say, like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, you usually get something they misunderstood that I said, but, you know, I, I'm never going to be back. My family doesn't want to come. Element was mean to me. The, the worst is when people say, I'm a heretic and I don't preach the gospel. You read our Yelp reviews. Um, <laughs> I, I think they don't understand because I feel like I only talk about Jesus. I feel like you guys should get bored all the time. I'm always like, Jesus, 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 and Jesus. It's like, that's like all I talk about. And what I try to do is take concepts sometimes that are here and bring them here so they start to make sense of everything you've been through in your life so the gospel begins to make sense to you in that. And what I'm saying is, when I talk about Paul and his life and the things that he studied, and then I say to you, you are called to go out as well and be people on a mission in the world. I'm telling you, I understand how hard and scary that is. I get it. I get it. But you also have to understand, you are naturally in a place where you understand the culture you are in, the place where you live, work, and play. You are part of that. You naturally understand that. And so you can start to speak of your life, of how God made sense of all of your life, so he made sense to you. You can begin to speak of that in a way that makes sense. Because, I, again, I understand how hard that can be, but God calls all of us out to do this. But we naturally are already in the spaces that we are in. And hopefully we will all come to a place where we view all things through the lens of the gospel, and we can see what God can do in all the lives around us. And we're excited enough about that to speak about it. You have to understand, God never calls anybody to be fake. Never, ever does he do that. Like, sometimes I'm around people, and they're swearing, and then they go, oh, what do you do? And I'm, I'm part owner of a computer company as well, and dependent on something like, I own a computer company. Or, so, you know, or sometimes I will say, I'm a pastor. And invariably, when I say I'm a pastor, people are like, oh, oh, uh, I'm really sorry, pastor. And they totally change who they are. And it's like, I'm not... I'm not offended. I think people think God's offended because I'm somehow closer to God than you are. I'm not. You know, but they think I am of some sort. It takes a lot to offend me. And language does not do it. I, if you know me, I get offended by like country music and light beer. You know, which is hard when you live in Santa Maria because everybody likes country music and light beer in Santa Maria. <laughs> Having said that, sometimes when we talk to people who are around us, we assume that people from one place like California are the same as people from another place like Texas, and it's just not true. You, there's some things you can say to a Texan you can never say to a Californian, and there, and there are some things you can say to a Californian you can never say to a Texan. It's just what it is. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were in Israel with this, with this group, and it's funny we, we got with these group of people. There's 42 of them. 36 of them are, are graduates from this very, very conservative Bible college in South Carolina. And we get on the elevator to go to the lobby with a few of them, and I go, boom, and I hit lobby, and I'm all, hey, let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And they just sit there and like, look at me like this. And my wife says, my wife goes, they don't know what that is. They don't go to movies. And I go, they don't go to movies? What is it going to? Avengers Endgame? They're like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. 
some, <laughs> there are different cultures, and you have to begin to understand that. People from one place are not the same as those in another. Even in Santa Maria, the small town that it is, one neighborhood is not going to see things as another neighborhood does. And we have to begin to understand that. We have to care enough about people and the gospel to do some of the work that Paul does, which is doing our homework. How well do you know your neighbors? How well do you know your coworkers? See, Paul is well-read. He quotes the scriptures in the synagogue. He quotes philosophers in Athens. He will speak of temple rituals when in Corinth. He cares enough to look outside of his own little world he grew up in to notice those around him so the gospel can make sense to them when he talks about it, which means we have to understand our own story our own redemptive history, what God has done in our own lives, and understand that enough to realize when we talk to somebody else, we may not talk to them the same way that we understood it in our beginning, that we have to speak into the culture that they are in and how they see the world around them, and that's very important. In Christianity, there is this saying that gets thrown around a lot, and they say, I, until I made my faith my own. It wasn't until blank till I made my faith my own. That could be college, high school, when you got married, when you got divorced, when you had kids, whatever it is. And I could do a whole sermon on this, but that's a phrase of saying when the gospel made sense of your entire life. So it began to make sense to you, the places you had been, the decisions you made, the decisions you didn't make, the regrets, the struggles, the triumphs, the joys. And that's where Paul starts to take the message in the second part of Acts, a journey of understanding. Because when we understand our own journey, it should give us compassion for those around us who Jesus is still working on and with and sending us to. So to try and make this personal for you, and don't worry, every week of Acts Part 2 is not going to be this way, okay? But is there someone on your heart that God has placed there? And if there's not, I think you need to ask God to place someone on your heart because there should be someone there. Someone you pray for, someone you desperately want to come to know Jesus, that they would leave the way of life that they are in, and that they would come to know the truth that is found in trusting him. This could be a parent. For me, I pray for this for my dad all the time. This could be a friend from high school. It could be a spouse. Part of God using us is that we would begin to understand the context of their life around us so that we'd be able to speak in a profound way of who Jesus is to their context. And this is why I appreciate the Apostle Paul so much. He's a guy who, before Jesus changed his life, had God in a tiny little box. This is how God has to act. We, though, would have looked at him and thought Paul was great. He has it all together, deeper religious, moral, academic of the highest order. But he had defined God of who he wanted God to be until God blew his box open. And God said, no, this is who I really am. And he's like, oh, It's Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. And what you see in Acts 13, verse 13, is this shift that takes place in Paul's life. Because at Acts 13, 13, Paul ceases to go by Saul and only goes by Paul from here on out. Because what happens here is Paul's going into that Greco-Roman world to understand them and speak to them in a way that they would get. And so it's like God's Spirit fills him and changes him. And there's this thing of in Acts 13 where God sends Paul and Barnabas out for this work. And I think God empowers them to understand that work. And as they go out, they get invited to speak to all these different places because of the difference in their life. In Acts 13.7, they talk to this guy named Sergius Paulus, who is one of the most powerful men in Asia. In 13.13, they go to that place in Antioch in Poseidon and speak the gospel there. And a lot of people think that they went there because Sergius Paulus had family in Antioch and asked them to go there. In Acts 7, he speaks to the Areopagus in Athens. It's like because of how Paul lived his life, it generated questions. 
In 1 Peter 3.15, the NIV, Peter says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. It is like Peter assumes people will be asking what is different about our lives. Not in a weird way. Guys, weird is totally easy. I'm talking different in a good way. People do not ask weirdos and crazies about the hope that they have. They ask them, what meds are you on and are you taking them, is what they ask them. They ask people who have something different in a good way, what is different about your life. That's what they're asking. And it's not that we have something. It is that someone has us. And Jesus had made sense of all of our lives. And the gospel makes sense to us. So we trust him in all things. And it doesn't mean it's always going to go easy. It doesn't mean it's going to go well, even though God puts the call there. By the end of Acts 13, this is what we read. Acts 13, verse 15 and 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. I think you really get the leading men of the city by you know, instigating things with those high-standing women because they go home and go, honey, you're going to fix this. And they're like, oh, whatever you need, dear. Okay. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. This is, I'm not going to let this affect me in the next place I'm going. I'm going to shake this off. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And again, a lot of this jealousy comes about because they're probably worried about these Gentiles coming in and changing how they're doing things in their synagogues. We can't have those Gentiles in here. They like light beer and country music and bacon and, you know, all that tattoos and, and all that stuff. We can't. So Paul, though, a few verses earlier, actually calls them brothers. And that's what kind of sets all of this off. Richard Longnecker writes this. It became clear that Paul and Barnabas were ready to speak directly to Gentiles without first relating them in some way to Judaism. The majority of the Jews, including undoubtedly the leaders of the Jewish community, were apparently unwilling to countenance a salvation as open to Gentiles as it was to Jews. And we have to be careful because sometimes we will fall into that same place that we do not want to countenance a salvation that is open to other people as much as it was open to us when God saved us. Think about this. You have uh, conservatives, right? So many times they're unwilling to countenance salvation that's open to a progressive liberal as much as it was to them. And the opposite is true. Progressive liberals, they, sometimes it's like, I cannot countenance salvation that's open to a conservative like it was to me. We have to understand that God calls us to look outside of our own little worlds to where people are and speak the gospel where people are in their context. Paul and Barnabas, they weren't discouraged in their call. They knew it all rested in God's hands. And Paul and Barnabas are simply living in a way they wanted to draw all people to Jesus as we should. So to round this up, has the gospel become such good news to you in your life that you want everyone to hear it? Do you care enough to want to understand others in a way that you can share and show the gospel in their lives so it begins to make sense of all that they've been through, so it makes sense to them? And hopefully by the end of the book of Acts, we trust Jesus more as he stretches us beyond where we are. Because in the end, it's not about us. And I know when I say these things that God has sent us, you have to understand, you go in God's strength. You go in God's hope. You go where God calls you to go. And you will speak words. And sometimes you will mess it up. But the message doesn't just depend upon you. It depends on God and his spirit working through us. And so you can go into these places and speak where he calls us to speak and not be afraid of how we speak, not be afraid of doing it all the wrong way. We can step in and have great trust in who he is as he leads us into new places. 
And we must be a people, as I say, who always come back to understand the gospel because that is where it begins and ends. This is why, even after a message where I'm exhorting you to go out, you come to this place of communion where you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice because it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because this is God bringing us back in again. All the sin of the world in our lives that we can never take care of on our own, God did himself. And this is why everything goes out, starts in our understanding of the gospel of God's rescue of us because we have strength and confidence in who he is and what he has done as he sends us out. So I invite you today to come to communion. The band's going to come up. As they do, there'll be some deacons in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you do have somebody on your heart and you've been praying for them and you see no movement and you want someone else to pray with you for that person. Maybe you have nobody on your heart and you want to pray with somebody so God would reveal somebody to your own heart to begin to pray for and think about. You know, maybe you want to understand the culture better that sits around you. And you want someone to pray with you through that so you could step into your workplace or your friendships or even your own home in a way you never have before. And you want them, they would love to pray with you about that. Because our God draws us to places to speak of the good news of our own salvation, but it never just stays there. It's meant to go out, this great good news of God's rescue of all of us. There's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done, but it is part of worship. And there is some snacks outside. Grab some sermon notes. Meet with some people this week. And maybe talk about the cultural context of where you are in different places in your life, the different spaces that you are in, from home to work to friendships to family, all those different things. And maybe you can brainstorm with one another how to begin to speak the gospel in tangible ways into all those different spaces. Because that's what God does. He places us in a family with one another to speak about the goodness of who he is and remind and encourage and exhort one another to live out that great and amazing call that he has given to all of us. Because our God is amazing, he is rescuing, and yet he does this work where he takes us and sends us as well out on message, on mission with him, knowing how knuckleheaded we are half the time, and yet he still sends us anyway. And anytime I mess up, he restores us to himself, he offers us grace, and we can continue to speak the good news of the gospel into all places. So let's be a people who speak of it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us on a consistent basis, because we so easily get off track, remind us of the good news of your rescue of us. How you have made sense of all that we are, everything that we have been through. And though many times throughout the course of our lives, we're still processing a lot of that of how you make sense of each little place. But as we get to each of those spaces, we're simply amazed by how you do. And as that happens more and more, the gospel makes so much more sense to us. And so teach us to take that understanding of who you are and begin to live that out in the world that is around us that we'd be a people who speak of our mighty, awesome, good, and saving God who rescues and restores and saves and redeems. That we'd be excited about the call, that we would have care and compassion enough for the world around us to see 
people exactly where they are in lost and broken states and that our compassion for those places would lead us to want to understand them in light of what you are going to do in their lives, using us as your hands and feet to the world. So teach us, lead us, have us always stand in amazement of what you have done at the cross to rescue and save us. That we would then live that out so you are most glorified. We ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.